Father, we come to you this morning. We come in gratitude for that perfect love you have demonstrated. Lord, we pray that your love would bring restoration, would bring healing, would bring joy, would bring peace to a war-torn world full of fear and hatred. We pray that, Lord, for places like the Middle East and Ukraine and wherever there is hatred and violence. We pray that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that this morning in this place. We pray, Lord, as we come in with our, with our fears, with our anxieties, with our sin, with our distrust, with our own hatred. Lord, we pray that your spirit would do a work in our hearts. We pray that your kingdom would come, that the love present, God, in your very nature would be in us. I pray now that my words are clear, that they're true, that they're helpful, and that they bring you glory and honor. Burn off whatever doesn't do those things. Holy Spirit, be our teacher this morning. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Question for you this morning. What is it that fuels you? What is it that fires you up? What is it that motivates you? What is it that drives you? Perhaps as you sang that last song, you reflect on the love of God, the, the truth of the resurrection, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and that is truly what sustains you, what nourishes you, what fuels you. Some of you walk into this place today, and that is reality for you. Some of you, though, this morning, as you walk in, you say, I would like that to be true, but have you seen my week? And there's a disconnect. Some of you are wondering, is that even true? Wherever you are, whatever you bring into this place this morning, I'm so thankful that you're here. We're going to approach God's word together and we're going to see what God has to teach us through his word. Before we do that, though, I was thinking about this question. What is it that fuels you? What is it that really drives you? And I was listening to a conversation between uh, uh, two of our modern existential philosophers, two brothers, one named Travis Kelsey. Perhaps you've heard of him or that kind of up-and-coming singer he may or may not date. And his brother, Jason Kelsey, and they're talking about the meaning of life. They're talking about what is it that really fuels 
them? What is it that drives them? And if you, if you follow professional football, you know that uh, Travis happens to play tight end for the Kansas City Chiefs. Jason plays center for the Philadelphia Eagles. Some of you may be fans of those teams even as you walk into here. But they played each other in the Super Bowl last year. What a joy for their parents and, and, and all this kind of stuff. And they've, they were having a conversation around what, what really matters and what motivates. And they were talking about just the, the, the high of winning a Super Bowl, but also that pain of losing and how losing a Super Bowl is actually something that brings so much motivation the following year. So much so that Jason Kelsey, whose team lost last year's Super Bowl, even though he's played like 15 years in the league, he's got all the money he could ever ask for, he's got a successful podcast, he's got a beautiful family, but his body is broken and he's contemplating, should I play another year or should I retire? And as he's contemplating this question, he says this, He says, I can't lose that competitive fire of playing in the NFL, of trying to win the Super Bowl. He says, of fighting for your worth that keeps you alive. He said, where else am I going to find that? Where else can I be the best in the world? I have to go out there and earn it every single day. I don't think any of us play in the NFL. But there's part of that longing, part of that hunger, part of that desire for something that fuels you, something that drives you, that I think taps into something inside of all of us. So what is it that sustains you? What is it? Well, this morning we're going to continue our series called Made to Flourish. And we've been looking at the systems that sustain us, the systems that help us flourish in life. We started off in Psalm 1 and we we looked at this opening of, of, of the great songbook of the Bible that says those who Delight in the law or delight in God's word, delight in the ways of Jesus and meditate on his law. Those are the ones, they're like like a tree planted by streams of water. It's like a tree replanted in the Garden of Eden. So there's this picture of flourishing, this picture of drawing resources from God that's a whole root system of connection. And we've been looking at that root system and trying to understand it and then do some examination of our own root system. Because when we look at a root system, a root system, it does a couple things. It anchors us. It also absorbs resources and then distributes those resources to the rest of the tree. And in in many ways, we need to have a a healthy root system. We talked last week about Psalm 139, and we looked at this 
wonderful song of a psalm of, of connection of how David learns to process, learns to come to terms with the reality that God knows him fully. That he is hemmed in before and behind and that that knowledge, while he says it's too lofty for me, too wonderful for me, where can I flee from your presence? Where he has this movement from this is overwhelming to embracing that knowledge and inviting the spirit to examine his heart. So we talked about some movements last week of being from independent to really inviting the presence of God in. Today we're going to continue looking at this connection, but we're going to do it from a different vantage point. I'm going to take you to the book of 1 John chapter 4, as Matt's already alluded to. And we're going to look at one of what, what I believe is the most powerful passages in the Bible about our connection of love to God and to other people. And we're going to look at that system this morning. We're going to slow down and look at, look at that in a little bit more detail. A little bit about John. First John, this is written by the Apostle John, the disciple John, who's known as the beloved disciple. And this is a letter to some of the churches. They've had some some bad teaching, they've denied Jesus, and he is encouraging them. And he's getting back to what are the fundamentals? What are the most important truths? And how do those truths actually sustain us and give us life? It's one thing to have correct theology, and that's all well and good, and we need to have that. But how do I also experience life with God? How do I actually draw from the source of God's love and then connect with other people and give and receive? So let me take you to this passage in 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. I want to read this section from 7 to 21, and I'll read it all the way through, and then we'll make some observation. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. 
Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Let's look at the design of our root system, the design of our connection system. If we were made to flourish, what does a flourishing connection system look like? Well, John's pretty clear on this. First point I want to make this morning is that God's love is the primary source of our flourishing. That God's love is the primary source of our flourishing. If you look at verse 16, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. To know it, to understand and rely, to depend on, that is the primary source for us. If we're going to flourish, that is the primary source. Now, what does that actually look like for us? Let me point to five truths in this. And really, the the way John writes, he uses deceptively simple language. He doesn't use a lot of big fancy words, but there's a lot of concepts that are bundled together as he describes love. Let me give these to you. First of all, love comes from God. He says that very directly in verse 7. Love comes from God. Love, God's love is the source for us. Love is what identifies us as followers of Jesus. Love is the primary indicator of our followership, our obedience to Jesus. When Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the essence. That's what it all hangs on. That is the identifier of us. Third, love is demonstrated on the cross. This is how God showed his love among us, verse 9. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. While we were yet sinners, God did this for us. His love is the beginning. His love is the beginning. It's the starting point for us. Fourthly, God's love is made complete in us. It is made complete in us. That that love is extended 
through us. As we have fellowship with Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that love is what permeates us and defines us. And then finally, it is the Spirit, the very Spirit of God that confirms our connection. Verse 13, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. So this is a foundational truth here. That God's love is our primary source of flourishing. There are lots of sources, there are lots of inputs we can receive But is God's love your primary source? Not a secondary, tertiary, whatever on past that, but is it a primary source for you? Now, it follows the second truth. God works through people to give us what we need to flourish. How does God's love, God doesn't just zap us all the time. He can. God can work supernaturally. God can heal us. God can do all kinds of miraculous things. And God works through people. God works through people to give us what we need to flourish. How do we know this? Well, our love for God is demonstrated through our love for God others. John knows of no love for God that is not demonstrated in our love for others. To say, I love God, but to hate your brother or sister, how can you have this? Those two are always connected. Vertical love for God, horizontal love for others, those are always intertwined. The strength to love others comes from our love for God and the love that we can receive. The horizontal and the vertical, the, the, the roots that go down and the roots that spread out cannot be separated. A healthy root system has both, receives from both. Both love from God, love from other people, love for God, love for other people. That's the design. We are simply commanded to love. John doesn't pull any punches here. That's that's the way it is. Let me give you a couple examples of this from the New Testament that just exemplify this. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 5. This is is the Apostle Paul, and he's gone through uh, a difficult time, and he says this. For when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within... But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Paul, in his despair, in his anxiety, earlier he will say he despaired of life itself. And God sends him Titus. He sends him a person to comfort him. That's how God's comfort, God's love works. It works through other people. 
Are you a Titus to somebody? Do you have a Titus in your life? Somebody who can encourage you, can comfort you, who can be a representative of God's love in a very practical way in your life. Peter will say it this way, 1 Peter 4, 8 through 10. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. It's a picture of this love distribution, of this grace distribution, of this root system. We have different gifts, different experiences, different connecting points, and God uses all of these to help us flourish, to nourish us, to make us more like Jesus. That's how the system works. Love from God, love from other people. It's that simple, right? Let me just say amen and go home. But here's the deal, and and John's going to allude to this. There are some things that get in the way of this system working. Which brings us to our third point. Love opens the connections that fear has closed. Love opens the connection that fear has closed. Let me take you and spend some time with 1 John 4, verse 16. Let's go back there. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. I want to give you the message paraphrase of this. I think it's instructive. Eugene Peterson puts it this way. He says, God is love. When we, we take up permanent residence in a life of love, we live in God and God lives in us. This way, love has the run of the house, becomes at home and mature in us so that we're free of worry on judgment day. Our standing in the world is identical with Christ. There is no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear, since fear is crippling. A fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment, is one not yet fully formed in love. Let's pause here and let's, let's, let's dig into these verses for a moment. Let's talk about fear. And let's talk about love. Let's begin with fear. If we are rooted in fear, what does that mean? Well, what, what, are, you, what are you afraid of? What are we afraid of? What's your greatest fear? Is it spiders? Is it snakes? could go on and list all kinds of things, but really, the fear underneath the fear is the fear of death, the fear of judgment, the fear of separation from God, 
forever. John says fear has to do with with punishment. So if there's a fear of death, if there's a fear of eternal separation from God, if that's my starting point, and I look at that fear and I say, oh, am, I really, am I really saved? Am I, am I really connected with God? Or do I always have to earn that? Is that something I have to always earn? If I live that way, I'm always living in fear. Can I ever do enough to earn my standing, my status with God? That's an attitude, that's a position of fear that says it starts with me, it depends upon me, that somehow I have to perform to earn God's love. I have to perform to sustain God's love. And we, are, may, not, we may or may not say that out loud, but that might be our experience. Have I ever done enough? Have I accomplished enough? Are my kids good enough? Have I done enough good work? You know, whatever that may be, even those of us who believe in the Bible and have, have believe that we're saved by grace through faith, we can have buttoned-up theology, but our experience may be different from that. We may have a fear that's underneath it all that says, wow, is this really true? Is this really true? Or... We may live a different way, and we, we, we may put God out of the picture for a moment, and we may say, you know, I, what is the meaning? What is the purpose of my life? How do I actually, do I have to fight for my existence? Do I have to fight for meaning all the time? Do I have to fight to say, I've accomplished this, and therefore I have worth? Whatever you believe about God there's a battle there. Jason Kelsey can say it's, it's accomplishment in the NFL. His brother Travis will say, you've got to fight for your right to party. If you know him, you know his story. So there's a, I've got to dull the pain, I, I've got to have fun, that that's what ultimately protects me from the ultimate fear and reality. So if we start with fear, it starts with me and my earning, my performance. Now contrast that with starting with love. God's love for you, God's love for me, demonstrated on the cross why we were yet sinners. I love the way John says this in First. 1 John 3, he says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. That's our relationship. When we put our faith and trust in, in Christ and we, we, we rely on him, we, we trust in him, that's the relationship that we have with God. That's the starting point. So whatever else comes my way, that is what I am anchored to. 
Now, you've most likely heard these truths, but let's, let's, what does this look like? I'll tell you what it looks like for me. We talk about fear and you talk about love. Have you ever thought about your actual death? What that actually, I mean, have you, have you been on an operating table? Have you, have you gone through, some, some of you have, or you've gone through, through it with loved ones. I've had the, I don't know if I'd call it a blessing, but I've been through a few things, and I've been on a few operating tables over the years. But I'll never forget, there was a time uh, 18 years ago, I get, I get diagnosed with cancer, I have surgery, I go through chemo the whole nine yards. I've shared some of that story uh, before, but I don't think I've shared this. There was a point in that journey where I felt like everything was stripped away except for love. And it changed the way I saw people. I happened to be teaching English. I was a department chair at a big school. And it just changed the way I saw everything. All the petty drama, all the superfluous things seemed to fade away, and I could just see love. I couldn't wait to come to church. I wanted to, I wanted to worship. There was a guy here at, at, at the church, and he was like full-on, hands in the air, worship all the time, which is not necessarily me. But I said, I want to worship with this dude because I, I want to experience that presence. I want to be together. But then as I got better, here's what happened. All the kind of petty drama and the things that I wasn't concerned about kind of came back. And it was like, okay, now I care about the, you know, like all the petty stuff in a school and a department and all that kind of stuff. That now became important again. And I was like, part of me was like, oh, I'm so, I'm so glad to be alive and healed and have hair again. But part of me was like, I miss some of that. I miss some of that community. I miss some of that communion with God. Why do I have to be at the end of my rope to experience that? Maybe you're like that too a little bit. Well, perfect love cast out fear. If we have the love of Christ at the, at the foundation, then we can always have that. Now, I want to challenge you this morning, and I put together a list of attitudes. One has fear at the root. One has love at the root. Not going to live, give you a lot of commentary on each one of these, but I want, I want the Spirit to work in your heart this morning and just bring to mind some attitudes perhaps that may be there for you. Again, when we start with fear, it starts with me, my performance, my earning. When I start with love, I always start with God. I start with his love. I start with grace. Let me give these to you. Fear keeps score and compares. You ever do that? Love keeps no record of wrong. Fear judges. Love coaches. 
Fear believes the worst about someone. Love believes the best. Fear has to be right. Fear always has to be right. Love seeks to understand. Fear looks for a hiding place. Love shares the truth, even when it's painful. Fear is transactional. Love is unconditional. Another way of saying that, fear says, I'm for you as long as you're for me. Love says, I'm for you even when you're not for me. Fear is got to. Love is get to. Fear says, I've looked at the film and you're off the team. Love says, I've looked at the film. Let's get to work. Fear believes that my stock goes down when I share the real me. Love believes that my stock goes up when I share the real me. Fear flatters to avoid the truth. Love builds up by revealing the truth. Fear fights to protect my reputation at all costs. Love sacrifices my reputation in the fight to restore. Fear gives up too soon. Love never quits pursuing. When you look at that list, does God bring anything to mind? Is there an attitude? Is there a relationship that comes to mind? I would invite you to, to pray over this list. It's in the app. It's all right there. If you get on the, lap, the app, you can, you can have that. We're going to go to the table to receive communion in a few moments, and I'm going to have those slides up there because we'll give you an opportunity to reflect and perhaps confess and consider. As I was thinking about this list, though, I was reminded of... Um, an old story from the life of John the Apostle himself. This story is recorded in the um, fourth century by a historian named uh, Eusebius. And he says this about John. This is, this is not young man John. This is, this is not John that says he was the first of the empty tomb. This is, this is old man John. This is, this is a prop most likely after John has his revelation from the island of Patmos. But John has a young man that he's poured into. And John is going around and he is visiting different churches. And he, he has particular care and concern for this one young man. And he goes to the bishop, the leader there, and he says, take care of this guy. Watch over him. You're in charge of him. You shepherd him. You care for him. And then John leaves and goes off to another church and some, some time passes and he comes back. 
And he says, where's, you know, where's this guy? Where's, where's this young man? And the, the, the bishop, the leader, is just distraught. He says, he's, we've lost him. He says, we've lost him. He's, he's gone astray. It started out, you know, he got in the wrong crowd, and then he, he, he got into this life of crime. And he's, now he's up in the mountains, and he's a leader of the bandits. John tears his clothes. And then this is old man John. He says, bring me a horse. So they bring him a horse and he takes off and he goes up into the mountains. And he's captured by these bandits. And he says, take me to your leader. And then he goes and he confronts this young man. And the young man recognizes John and then he he takes off. (laughs) Old man John, unarmed, he takes off. What does John do? He pursues him. He goes after him, risk his life to bring him back. And then there's this embrace and this reconciliation and, and repentance, and he brings him back into the fold. What a picture of flourishing, of courage, of love, not fear. I would ask you this morning, is that, does that describe your life. And is that something that you want to have? Well, this morning, I want to invite us to do some reflection before we come to the table. I'm going to go ahead and put, uh, put these love and fear statements on the screen and invite you to look at this, pray through this, When we come to the table, we come as those who've put our faith and our trust in Christ. Doesn't mean you've got it all figured out, but it does mean you've taken that step of faith and trust. It may be as simple as, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, but you've taken that step. And when we come to the table, what we do is we remember how God demonstrated his love for us. We remember that before he was betrayed, he gathered his disciples in the upper room and he, he took the bread and after giving thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body given for you. Take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and said, this cup represents my blood, blood shed for the forgiveness of sins, blood of the new covenant. So just as you receive the bread, may you receive the cup in remembrance of what Jesus has done. But the word also tells us to examine ourselves before we come. So what I'd like us to do this morning, just continue to look at that list, pray for that. If you've got some other things you need to confess, you can do that at your seat. And then when you're ready, simply go to one of the tables. Receive the bread and the cup, take it back to your seat, and when you're ready, take the bread and the cup. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your love. Thank you for a love that you've demonstrated to us in so many ways. I pray, Lord, that that love 
becomes real this morning, not just in our heads, but in our hearts and the depths of who we are. Lord, as we look at this list and we we ask your spirit to identify the patterns where we're not trusting in you. And then Jesus, we say thank you. Thank you for loving us. It is in your name, Jesus, that we pray.